And welcome to another episode of Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. On today's episode, we shall be covering the second part of our trilogy of shows on Ronald Reagan, and we'll be focusing on Reagan and religion, and the marriage of the Republican Party with Christianity. Uh, On our last episode on Reagan, we looked at his time in Hollywood and his military service in World War II, we ended the show by touching on his A Time for Choosing speech, um, which was presented during the 1964 US president election, where Ronald Reagan campaigned on behalf of Republican candidate Barry Goldwater. Uh, from there, um, Reagan quickly became a, a hot ticket within the Republican ranks, and only two years later, in 1966, Reagan defeated incumbent uh, Democratic Governor Pat Brown in a landslide victory. Reagan made the uh, balancing of the budget and the bringing the uh, economic stability uh, to California as a cornerstone of his time in office and he won re-election in 1971 before declining to run for a third term and leaving office in 1975. Between 1976 and 1979 Ronald Reagan did a radio broadcast uh, which ran daily and with 20 to 30 million listeners uh, each week During this time, Reagan established himself as the great communicator and used these shows to lay out many of the political themes that would go on to define his later presidency. Uh, In 1976, he challenged incumbent President President Gerald Ford for the Republican nomination, but was defeated. Uh, But he can't keep the the gipper down, and uh, in 1980 he was elected as the 40th President of the United States. In the first episode we did on Reagan, we talked about his upbringing, uh, with his mother being a Protestant, his father a Catholic, and with Ronald following in his mother's footsteps. Uh, before we we delve back into to Reagan's own uh, religious feelings and, and views, it, it's probably worth that we uh, kind of maybe set more of the sort of political and uh, social climate. Vaughn, what was the the cultural climate like for evangelicals during the late seventies, uh, and why did they attach themselves attach themselves to the, the conservative movement? So, um, firstly, I really love that we're doing this episode because it's fairly new in the historiography of kind of Reagan and this time period to really take a hard look at the religion um, aspect of all of it, mm-hmm. and at least in terms of Reagan's biography. Um, so there's, there's kind of this idea that there was an evangelical awakening in the late seventies, um, that a lot of people will point to and and say like, this is when evangelicals became political, but there's a historian, um, Matthew Avery Sutton, who kind of challenges that as a, like a myth of this awakening. And that, that idea is that evangelicals had always been political, um, but social conservatism aligned with political conservatism in the 70s, and that's why it seems like this awakening. So before we get into that, just kind of the, the climate of it, 
why social conservatives being evangelicals felt that there was kind of an attack and they needed to align with a party. Um, the mid 20th century had a ton of evangelical changes. Um, so in like 1925, there were this, it was the Scopes monkey trial um, that brought Darwinism and evolution into schools. And then later you had, um, you had like sex ed being introduced in, in the, around the 60s. Also in the 60s, in 1963, um, my high school that I went to, Abington School District, they had a Supreme Court case, Abington School District versus Shemp, um, that out, like uh, outlawed prayer in public schools. So there was that kind of attack in the schools specifically. And then you also had the kind of social and cultural movements of the mid 20th century. Um, you have like the, the sex revolution, there's like drugs and rock and roll, there's a shift towards um, listening to students and intellectuals from the 50s onwards. There, well, 40s really, there's kind of a, a new wave of appreciating the expert. Um, and then with all of the student movements that did so much in civil rights and in Vietnam, um, it, it felt like there was kind of a, a shift towards harder education rather than kind of tr traditional religious views in a social climate. You also had the civil rights movement and um, later you had Watergate and all of these were kind of challenging quote unquote morals um, that some social conservatives had. And the civil rights movement is, is a really interesting one because so much of it is based in, like so much of the leaders of the civil rights movement were deeply religious. And a lot of the defenses for civil rights were in religious grounds. But the gay rights movement came along with that and were part of the Equal Rights Act. And that triggered a lot of social conservatives to push back um, not believing in gay rights or whatever comes with that. Um, we also had abortion as a hot topic. Roe v. Wade was 73, I believe. Um, making abortion legal and more accessible. In the same kind of realm of abortion, you have uh, contraception and the birth control pill, which originally the, the Vatican was okay with in 66 as a medical drug. But after the kind of investigation by the Vatican, the Pope turned against it in 1968 with Humanae Vitae, the, um, the, the address from the Vatican um, mm -hmm. in 1968. So all of these very abrupt, very quick, and condensed in the in the kind of view of history, um, changes were happening all at once. And 
evangelicals felt attacked and social conservatives felt attacked who many who many of the social conservatives were evangelical very religious types um and the new right saw these kind of changes that were happening and the pushback of evangelicals and they really kind of capitalized on it um and directed a lot of political conservatism to get behind the social conservatives and bring them into like a G GOP powerhouse kind of voting block. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's that's the kind of like climate around 70, the, the 70s for evangelicals. Yeah, and I think it's important to add that as, as Vaughn has touched on, the early conservative movement, the conservative movement in the 1940s and 1950s, led by people like William F. Buckley, and um, sort of uh, em what was emblematic of it was the Goldwater campaign in 1964 and his book, The Conscious of the Conservative. The arguments that were leveled by the conservatives in that period was not uh, overtly Christian. Of course, um, leading conservatives were Christians. I mean, Buckley had written God and Man at Yale about, you know, um, religion being taken out of these uh, elite institutions. But m much of the arguments that were being made by leading conservatives like Goldwater, Hayek, were couched in, I would say, um, almost like classical liberal terms. You know, it was about people having their own autonomy and being able to uh, do what they want as long as it did not affect the social order. This, these were not overtly Christian arguments that were being leveled. Um, and you, you even had people like Ayn Rand, for example, who actually, she had a conservatism that wasn't religious at all. And in, in her book, Atlas Shrugged, um, she completely decried faith. Mm. And she was a leading figure in the in, in the conservative movement for much of the 1940s and 1950s, people like von Mises and Il Is uh, Isabel Patterson, they did not use religion as the leading um, element in their critique of liberal society. And so, and even Hayek, for example, his his whole, um, his critique of liberal society was that, you know, you, you had all of these people, um, liberal technocrats who were changing society and you know who were measuring and um using social engineering programs and he felt that the societies developed more organically but there wasn't an overtly christian um argument in his book the road, road to surf them he did think that christianity was needed for some some of the systems that he was envisioning, but it wasn't overtly Christian. And it wasn't really until, I would say, Whitaker Chambers's book, Witness, where he, Whitaker Chambers had been a former KGB agent who sort of invigilated America, and then he had had a, a sort of personal reformation. He had turned from his conservative, or uh, his uh, communist um, leanings to someone who was variantly conservative, and he helped Richard Nixon to out the other KGB spy, Alger Hiss, famously. And he wrote this book called Witness. And in Witness, he framed the Soviet Union as this godless, atheistic society, and that, that 
what and the difference between America and the Soviet Union was the difference between a religious society and then a society without God, a society that framed um, man as the sort of um, creative and um, optimal element in uh, society. And so it was really that that Reformation story that was really the first sort of shout in the conservative movement that showed that the conservative movement was moving towards a sort of more social conservatism that frames the difference between America and the Soviet Union as, you know, the difference between uh, Christian and atheistic society. But it wouldn't be until, I think, the, the, the 1970s when social conservatives became completely untethered from the Democratic Party. Many of them had stumped for Goldwater, although Goldwater wasn't overtly Christian in his critiques. Even Rush Limbaugh famously said that, oh, um, you know, remember the 60s when they tried to use Goldwater to get Christianity out of conservatism? It wasn't. Their arguments weren't overtly Christian. But, and many social conservatives had voted for the Democratic Party because many of the working class people who voted for the Democratic Party were Christian. But it wasn't until the 1970s and, and the many changes that happened especially on the left, it sort of started to untether people with Christian, especially white Christians from the, the conservative, uh, from the Democratic Party. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up um, because the McCarthyism movement, anti-communism is for sure one of the first um, in, in what we're talking about, one of the first kind of examples of really highlighting that Christian values were more equal to American patriotism um, in that kind of way of the communists are not God-fearing, so they're un-American. Um, and that, that was the first kind of alignment in that way. And I, I think like what you said is absolutely right about the changes in the left, because in the 50s, the kind of prevailing view of families was a nuclear family, mom, dad, two and a half kids living in the suburbs. Um, and when the left started saying, well, contraception's okay and abortion is okay and gay people exist and deserve rights, that, that kind of shifted the movement for evangelicals, especially white evangelicals to say, what's happening to our country. We used to be this great Christian nation of the nuclear family, which yes, Protestant and Catholic kind of values and Christian values generally more closely align with the nuclear family. Um, but that's not necessarily why that was the case at the time. Um, there are a lot of social theories about why the nuclear family happened the way it did and why it was so important in the Cold War the early Cold War. Um, one of my favorite historians on that subject is Elaine Tyler May in her book, Homeward Bound. Um, she talks about all of these, these theories and how religion was kind of used in this way um, to equate the nuclear family as the antithesis of communism. But she kind of puts forth, forth that the nuclear family happened because you couldn't trust anyone. There was this, this communist threat constantly looming. And the only people you could trust were those 
in your immediate bubble in your family and that that's where a lot of these family pressures came from they weren't necessarily religious but the right reframed it as we're attacking or well the left at the time were attacking traditional christian family values with all of the social changes that were happening so i, I agree with you completely i think that's a great point to bring up yeah absolutely um that was that was really great thanks guys that was a really good i can't believe that was just one question i think <laughs> if we keep going like this we'll probably speak for a week i think that was brilliant uh i was uh, what i was going to say was I did find it quite interesting, Toby, that you brought up Ayn Rand, and I thought, well, that's kind of odd that, you know, she was kind of adored by the right, and then, you know, at the same time, they sort of moved towards being religious, and, you know, she's obviously so anti-religious, but, you know, she does have a messiah complex, so at least that kind of fits in with uh, religion in some one way or another. Uh, it's a great point to bring up. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Anytime we can shit on a libertarian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh Toby, how how Christian was was Ronald Reagan, and how much did he use religion in his uh, political life? Well, I think that Reagan, like many people in his generation, he sort of moved uh, in and out of a of a religiosity. I would I would say that he was he came from a very Christian background. His his mother now was a mainline Protestant, and uh, she went to the Church of the Disciples of Christ in Illinois and Dixon, and she was a very, very devout um, and pious lady. Mm -hmm. She was known for being the one who prayed the most, who local locals and family members always wanted her to pray because they felt that she had a a skill for it, a a skill for, for storytelling, for putting on plays in the church and reagan whose father was a little bit of an itinerant uh, drunk um, reagan sort of got close to this uh, fellow called ben cleaver who was a almost like a, a sort of surrogate father figure for him and he was a minister at the disciple of, of christ church reagan was um, interested in in his daughter romantically and um, his daughter would always say things like i don't think reagan was is that religious you know i he he was just interested in being around me but um reagan did read a lot of sort of religious books as as a young young person he the 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 church the disciples of christ church was a very sort of american style church They, they evoked american values and they were deeply anti-communist in in a lot of their teachings, and he read books for, with um, sort of Christian characters that were that were sort of um, they they were not only devout but they worked very hard. They knew the value of a dollar. It, it was it was a sort of very American style Christian okay. education that Reagan had, and even at Eureka College, he still went to church but then i guess he moves to hollywood and you know they 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 do they did not go to church um that much while he was in hollywood he he obviously um married jane wyman who was also another hollywood actress who eventually would leave him for another man and and he would eventually marry uh, nancy davis and nancy davis um 
was actually into a lot of different things like astrology. She, you know, she wasn't the most devout character in the world. She, she really liked being in high society. You know, they, they, they weren't overtly religious. And I, I guess Reagan could be um, sort of seated in a trend in American life that a lot of people like um, Herbert Cawley and uh, Walter Lippmann had seen a sort of a, a genuine secularization in the in the 30s and, and 40s that did happen with with people who were Christian but were not that attached to the faith. I mean, he, he did maintain some ties to Hollywood churches and did 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 narrate a broadcast for um, a, a church in, in, in Hollywood, but he didn't write it at the broadcast. He just sort of said the words. And I, I think, and some people who are quite cynical about Ronald Reagan feel that his drift into more um, sort of devout and spiritual um, Christianity began as he began his political um, ambitions in, in, in California. So there, there is a sense that Reagan did not have a very sort of religious um, attitude in his Hollywood career, and but he did have a very sort of religious formative experience, and that was um, quite in line with the, with his Americanism. But then when he gets to California, he does sign the Therapeutic Abortion Act, which is supposed to help people get. Um, sort of get rid of uh, backstreet abortions. He did privately feel that abortion was wrong, but he did not force his um, private views on the, the, the people of, of, of California. But what starts to emerge, I think, in Reagan is a lot of private correspondences that he writes to a lot of constituents about a spiritual awakening that, that the country needs. He feels like the country's in a, in a tumultuous period and, and it really requires a spiritual awakening. He reads um, he reads Whitaker Chambers' book, Witness, and that makes him see the, the Soviet Union as very anti-religious. I mean, the Soviet Union was obviously overtly anti-religious. There was a lot of blowing up of churches, um, digging up of old um, sort of Christian local saints and things like that, and, 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 a, and a sort of program of Darwinian education that many people like Trotsky and, and Lenin were um, interested in and, and pushed in the Soviet Union. So that framing of the Soviet Union as this, this evil empire, this is sort of anti, almost like an antichrist shibboleth that exists, begins to um, help Reagan see that it's a sort of spirituality in, in American life that is that is, assen is is essential is an essential core value of American life, and I think that it, that borrows back to his own personal Christian education. And you know, people ask him, you know, um, about the Bible, and, and he says things like, "I mean, clearly." The, the Old Testament is true because it predicts um, Jesus's life so accurately. Um, and, and then he's um, he meets people like George Otis, who who's more of a charismatic um, Christian. This is a charismatic movement that, that contained people like Pat Robinson, people who spoke in tongues, people who who um, were close to the, the Holy Spirit. 
And then George Osis actually meets Reagan in, in, a, in a hotel while um, Reagan is uh, governor of California. And Osis, like, see, he sort of breaks down and, and he's having a spiritual um, moment. And he, and he says that he's speaking the voice of God. And Reagan is entranced by this. And, and, and George Otis asks Reagan about it years later. And Reagan said, of course, I, I remember. It. And, he, and he starts to feel like through these, these charismatic preachers and um, through his framing of the, of the Soviet Union as evil empire, that God really has a uh, task for him. And that, that, that it was God's will that he was successful in the 1930s in, in in film, while most you know a number of people were unemployed, it was God's will that brought him to California, and that God had a bigger path for him as as um, president and as the one who would deliver the country from the the Soviet anti-religious um, terror. I I had read once that Reagan said that he was born again in the '60s, um, hmm. and I I guess that's kind of harking back to that experience that he had. Um, but I, I do think that whether, I wouldn't presume to, to know anyone's personal religiosity, um, but I, I do think that in his outward kind of use of religion, um, he, he certainly becomes more expressive and more performative with his religion um, as his career progressed. Mm-hmm. And that, like everything you said about the Soviet Union, what he said um, about it, calling it uh, an evil empire, that comes from a speech in 93, in which he says that the Soviets, quote, must be made to understand we will never compromise our principles and standards. We will never give away our freedom. We will never abandon our belief in God. And we will never stop searching for a genuine peace. But we can assure none of these things America stands for through the so-called nuclear freeze solutions proposed by some. So when when he was president, at least, he was very aggressively using religiosity as a reason to build up arms and perpetuate the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Um, whether that's kind of harking back to McCarthy era, anti-communism is a religious movement um, or whether he genuinely believed that. I think it was a very useful tactic for him um, to kind of use religion in that way by kind of equating it to American freedom and American values um, against the Soviet Union. I was going to make a joke that Vaughn also had a similar calling to join this podcast, but maybe we should put that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you can. That works. It worked. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, shall we, Shall we talk about the, uh, the the other candidate as far as the the nineteen eighty election is concerned? Um, Vaughn, how how much did religion play in in Jimmy Carter's politics, and how how was Carter viewed by by Christian groups? You know, potentially both in in seventy six and eighty. So. My understanding of Carter is that he personally is a quite Christian person, mm-hmm. um, but he is more socially liberal and right. justifies that through his religiosity. So he was like pro-choice and pro-gay rights 
um, he, he was, he, I mean, he was Southern, but not Southern conservative. Um, so at first, I think a lot of Southern Christians saw another Southern Christian and were very attracted to that. But yeah. then as president, he kind of ramped up the, the IRS and that threatened private Catholic schools. Mm. And, and that really aggravated the evangelicals kind of away from him in a more solid solid way than his like social progress in uh, pro-choice abortion and gay rights and everything. And he, he held a summit at the White House um, about family values. And evangelicals felt that it was a very anti-family event and that it went against a lot of their morals. And he was painted as as not giving a fair balanced kind of platform to both sides of the pro-family in quotes and anti-family groups. And I think that lost him a lot of favor with evangelicals. And then in 80, um, he kind of saw that the, the religious right were really coming after him. Um, and he, he realized a little too late that the, the social conservative evangelical vote um, was an extremely important one in this election because they were garnering so much support for Reagan. And too far into the campaign, he invited um, evangelicals and televangelists to the White House to kind of sit down and talk about these things. Um, he invited Jerry Falwell, who we haven't touched on him yet, but we should. He he was massive in this movement for Reagan and for the religious right as a very prominent televangelist and very influential minister. Um, and Carter invited him to the White House to talk about his, his kind of stances on things and policy. And it was just too little too late for the evangelical vote. And, and I, yeah, I think, I think that really was a downfall for Carter for not really recognizing that earlier, how important that would be. Yeah, I mean, Carter's came to politics in many ways as almost like someone who was retrieving a sense of American innocence, almost. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the Watergate Maya had really sullied the country and sullied people's impressions of the country. Billy Graham, who was um, a evangelical and who actually helped Richard Nixon and, and, and Richard Nixon sought his counsel and, and he was there in Richard Nixon's inauguration. He had been maybe one of the first evangelicals to really put himself out there and be involved in politics. And he was really burnt by Nixon. You know, he, he saw Nixon after Watergate as a deeply immoral man. And people like Jerry Falwell said that, you know, um, Billy Graham's work in, in politics at that point was, was really wrong. I mean, Falwell used to say that the, the liberal Christians were really outstepping the bounds and outstepping the, the dictum for, to separate church and state by involving themselves in politics. And I, and, and, and I think, but I think people like Billy Graham recognize that the country needed some sort of 
uh, revival, some sort of religious revival, and that was um, that was increased by decisions like Roe versus Way, by the coming of the the sort of gay rights movement and people like Harvey Milk and and the ERA, which which um, Phyllis Schlafly worked against, and then people really saw the country going in a different way. And there was a sense that um, that America was like Rome, almost. You know, it was it was a the 1970s were a hedonistic moment um, where the, um, there was a lot of um, secular humanists were taking over. These interest groups were gaining power in in Washington, and the society was becoming more hedonistic and more um, more autonomous. Um, groups that had been marginalized previously were having more power and more say and some americans really wanted things to to stay the same you know and so jimmy carter comes along and he's of the left but he says things like jesus is the most important thing in my life you know and the year 1976 is by uh, newsweek as the the year of the evangelical so you have jimmy carter coming along and framing his um, political campaign as a bit of a religious revival for the country. Then you have Gerald Ford, who's not really adept at this kind of politics. His wife is, is actually a liberal. And so really, Carter is able to outflank the Republicans on social conservatism and people like People like uh, Dick Cheney in the Ford White House, you know, they they sort of snigger because they think that they'll be able to use this in the future against the Democrats. But what is clear is that Carter was really winning because of this. I mean, Carter has a stumbling in 76 because of um, an interview he has with Playboy and Ford says, you know, um, when he's talking to some evangelicals that he would never interview a playboy and, and that sort of hits uh, Carter during the, the, the campaign, but eventually Carter wins. And part of that is because he brings a sense of newness. Um, he's not as ideological as other sort of uh, liberal politicians like Lyndon Johnson had been. And there's a sense of a blank slate that he has. But pretty soon, the evangelicals noticed that for um, Carter's Christianity is a Christianity of, you know, the sort of social gospel type Christianity, which separated church and state. So he had private views, even some private views that were quite socially conservative. But he supported the women's right to choose he supported um, other the ERA, for example. He was quite ambivalent on it, but he appointed people like Bella Erzog to important committees to support um, the women's um, sort of liberation movement. So the evangelicals become dismayed with with Carter, and and they're really looking for someone. I mean, and in, in, people like Jerry Falwell note that even though Carter was really an evangelical and Reagan was probably not, possibly Reagan would bring the policies that they actually wanted um, to bear. Um, um, Toby, yeah. I j just to give you an unofficial warning, you got very close there to uh, criticizing Gerald Ford. So just <laughs> back off from that in the future, if at all possible. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> 
do you want to add anything else to that one yeah um yeah all of that all of that is really great um i do think that we should probably like talk about televangelists real quick mm-hmm. in in their kind of impact in this time because that it's it's a kind of unprecedented thing that that the evangelical vote at the time was extremely crucial to who was actually going to win between Carter and Reagan. Um, and the, even just having Jerry Falwell or Billy Graham as kind of political advisors were like that. I mean, I guess today it doesn't seem as crazy, but at the time it was, but I think that the, the right, the new right, um, when they noticed that social conservatives were kind of getting the short end of the stick and that they were getting angry about it, they really latched onto that. And with that came their congregations and their their media connections. Um, so the televangelists had massive platforms on like cable networks and they had massive followings that used to vote Democrat, largely, a, a lot of them did. Um, and they also had like mailing addresses for their their congregations um, from people who donated to social conservative groups um, like the televangelists. And the new right gained massive kind of communications ground by aligning with televangelists and social conservatives, um, social conservative evangelicals. And like, I, I think that that deserves mentioning because Jerry Falwell became an extremely important person in Reagan's campaign mm-hmm. because he brought the whole kind of voting block of evangelicals with him. Um, and multiple times he, backed Reagan's policies even when he was president he he backed the 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 pro nuke um agenda and the um strategic defense defense initiative and he preached about it on his platforms uh and and swayed a lot of voters towards it a lot of people who we're thinking, well, maybe de-escalation and the nuclear freeze is a good idea, which was a liberal idea. Um, Jerry Falwell really kind of turned that tide with his his massive kind of following and, and his media and communications kind of networks. Um, and he used biblical justi- justifications for it. So like he, he special tailored pro-nuclear armament for evangelicals in just an incredibly impressive way and yeah this i mean this always blows my mind when when i talk about televangelists because it does it just it it's bananas to me but by the mid 1980s televangelists were incredibly important figures just in american society yeah, and in, in the 1970s, like, a lot of journalists were really whiplashed by this. They didn't... Yeah. When Jimmy Carter said he was born again, they were like, what? What's that? 
and many of them wouldn't attend church uh, at all if it wasn't to advance their careers and things like that. That generation of of journalists um, were not that familiar with that kind of religion when they found out, you know, one third of the population had this had said they had and you know experience with God and things like that. They was they were shocked that millions of people were really interested in this. And then when Jerry Falwell develops. Uh, sort of a popularity with his uh, I Love America rallies where he goes around America having these religious talks with people and then you know he gets an estimated following of, of 18 million people and, and considers himself you know almost like the Johnny Carson of the of the Christian movement they they were not expecting this and they and it was a real change in American life really but I think it can be seated within the 1970s in the sense that in the 70s, especially after the, 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 the tumultuous nature of the 60s and the, the, these new rights groups and the, the, the social and then um, political changes that had happened, a lot of people's values were floating. A lot of people didn't really know what they were or what they wanted, um, you know, and um, there was a real clash of um, sort of almost spiritual needs in the culture between people, you know, who would uh, wanted a human potential um, way of um, living and, and being in the future or people who wanted almost a counter-revolution, a Christian counter-revolution against the changes that had, had happened. And, and that's how you get, you know, people like, Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell and Pat Robinson and and that's how they become sort of the um, mainstays of American life in the 1980s. I, th- I think this episode has done a really good job of certainly pissing me off because we've mentioned libertarians and uh, televangelists. Uh, <laughs> basically, we're two out of the three of getting my whole tr- holy trilogy of people who I just despise with every <laughs> in- inch of me. The, do you know what the third is just out of interest it's people who say could care less instead of couldn't care less oh god that's <laughs> a, yeah it, i agree it, with you the, i mean oh there's just not a large enough hole to throw those people into anyway <laughs> but <laughs> that's what my friend's uh, list of uh, people who call other people king he hates that <laughs> <He's> like what <laughs> anyway talking of kings so how how did, how, how did religion play into Ronald Reagan's 1980s pitch? Uh, Toby, I don't know if you want to take that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. And I would say that what Ronald Reagan was able to do that Jimmy Carter wasn't able to do and notice that this, the energy um, in the Christian movement was with people like the moral majority and the NCR. And he basically took their policy line and their rhetorical line completely. I mean, they had made overtures to him to try to talk to him so that he could schmooze them and, you know, sort of um, bring them along. And even though the organizations that they had were sort of, they were political, but they didn't want to endorse a candidate. They they set up a rally where they tried to get all three of the, the candidates for um, the presidency there, but they said that Reagan was going to be the speaker. And so the other two candidates pulled out. And then when Reagan was there, even though they couldn't, in, they couldn't endorse him, he said, well, you know, I endorse you. And the crowd went wild. <laughs> and, and from that on, you know, they were sort of tied together. And then on the, on the campaign trail, 
he actually pushed the conservative talking points, things like um, religion in schools, the, the, against the Supreme Court rulings in, in New York, for example, against having school prayer. Um, he talked about how sort of abortion was sort of the hedonistic thing that just that it was against um, the the right to life um, in in the Ten Commandments, um, and so it was these kinds of policies that he was pushing, and then he was um, spiritualizing a lot of non-religious uh, policies, things like um, anti-communism. He talked about that in sort of uh, Christian versus anti-Christian terms. He even talked about inflation, which was what probably actually the biggest issue of that campaign um, in spiritual terms. He talked about how the allowing um, sort of runaway government spending and not being able to tackle the energy crisis, even though um, Carza had some energy packages, um, it, it was a sign of a spiritual weakness in the country, and which is along the lines of the NCR and, and many of the things that um, they were saying. Um, he was um, he was against the ERA, things like that, and and so on the stump, what emerges, and really for the for the only for the second time in a while maybe even since like um robert taft or um there 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 is a real um the the, the person's religion even more than say in, in the 1960 with with kennedy it's it's really the person's religion and the, their religiosity against the really the unreligiosity or the religiosity of the other candidates or, or campaigns that um allows Reagan to to win with the the, the margins that he does in, in in 1980 it becomes even more of a political issue in um, against Dukakis in 1988 for example where actually because in, in in 1980 it was only like 40 percent of the electorate who knew what the moral majority was even though evangelicals were now voting in lockstep for, for Reagan but by 1988 you know the, the Republican Party could lose, the black vote, it could lose the Mexican vote, it could lose um, sort of all of these interest groups or all of these minority votes, win the evangelicals and then win the presidency by, by a lot. So things had changed and a lot of this had to do with Reagan's push in 1980 and using social conservatism, both policy and rhetoric to really win the presidency. Yeah, I think he he also in his campaign he also like really pushed the the idea of American exceptionalism, and he quoted um, the the Puritan leader John Winthrop by saying like the shining city upon a hill, mm. and a lot of Americans that I know attribute that quote to Reagan. They don't know that it was Winthrop first. Right. And I think that's a really kind of interesting thing about how we remember Reagan as this religious kind of figure. Um, and kind of, like he's like trying to pioneer American exceptionalism in step with evangelical values. Um, 
and it set him apart in kind of public memory and at the time public perception as the most religious one and that is why he won um for a lot of people and carter did also like he saw the way the winds are turning i mean he had had a terrible end of his presidency there was the continued stag- stagflation, there was the energy crisis, there was the mm. uh, Iran crisis, and then there was also a lot of people who had um, disliked Kissinger and Ford's and Nixon's foreign policy, started to dislike um, Carter's uh, humanitarianism. I mean, Carter is famous for being the president who did the, the least amount of damage to other countries <laughs> during his presidency, but a lot of people were unhappy with that for some reason yeah <laughs> and um and then so he had to he moved to the left and then he he framed a pro family message for the other groups that were being uh left out or marginalized by the moral majority a pro family message for jews for example he ran ads that were by jewish um sort of constituents who were very religious themselves who tried to show that there were other Christian values and other values that um, Jesus evoked through his ministry and things like charity and things like social justice. And and he did that with um, African-Americans as well. And so he's making this this pro-family and religious appeal, but he had been shut out by the moral majority and the NCR. There was a member of the moral majority that saw Carter and talked to him because they were trying to pretend that they were going to, you know, consider both candidates. And he said that basically everything that came out of Carter's mouth, he completely disagreed with. So it was clear that the the Christian energy was with the Republicans and that despite Carter's best efforts, he, he wasn't going to get that kind of evangelical support that he had in 1976. Um, are we wanting to touch, kind of um, look at anything more around the, the 80 election, or are we want to kind of move on to kind of f- further into Reagan's presidency then? I'm, I'm thinking whether or not we should kind of s- start to look at um, kind of how how Reagan dealt with um, kind of the religious groups and how he dealt with religion and um, how, how the religious groups kind of played into his presidency. Um, is there anything specific you guys are wanting to look at? Um, I mean, there, there is the question, probably the looming question of, of how Ronald Reagan dealt with, with AIDS um, mm. and the religious groups and how they possibly played into his reaction. Uh, Vaughn, I don't know if there's any, anything else which can would give our audience maybe a, a view on on how religion uh, played into Reagan's actual presidency um so for me my understanding of his presidency is that he ran on very religious values but mm-hmm. then didn't actually push any of that policy as president yep um except in 83 for his re-election he like named 1983 the year of the bible and (laughs) there there was um he published an essay in like a human rights journal uh that was very anti-abortion and then that got published as a different essay called the abortion and the consciousness of the nation which i guess harks back to barry goldwater doesn't it Hmm. um 
but then he also like uh, he appointed like a pro-life surgeon general but then the surgeon general immediately kind of backtracked off of pro-life and that he was very influential in actually getting the administration to do anything about AIDS because Reagan's advisors said like do not acknowledge the AIDS crisis and then um by 86 so like five years into the AIDS crisis Everett Koop who was the surgeon general he was like this is absolutely insane we have to address this mm. um, so those those are the things oh and his appointment of Sandra Day O'Connor and then kind of backtracking on that to appoint Antonin Scalia um to kind of get back on the good side your boy Toby <laughs> Yeah, and Scalia was a mild guy, really. I mean, look, <laughs> at, look at him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he they pushed for a um, school prayer le- um, legislation, and they really wanted the constitutional amendment to get school prayer in. But it, it things like that failed in the Senate. Yeah. Because um, you know people were still yeah I mean conservatives were still a little bit more moderate at that time but then I mean you do you did have Jerry Falwell I mean and 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 I guess the members of the moral majority have really pondered this because in Reagan's um, term they didn't really have a lot of legislative successes and they figured out that politics is hard you know it's not just Mm. all nice speeches and telephones and shit like that but what they were able to do is that they got a seat at the table they became advisors right. Jerry Falwell was in meetings you know and um, Reagan had had a relationship with, with Billy, Billy Graham and, and sought his advice as well the advice of the moral majority so they became heavily politicized in an institutional way and I think that uh, sort of helped them into the future to really become a, a part of the Republican um, movement and um, you know, things like George W. Bush's personal religious um, reformation sort of feeds in into that, I think. Although it, it's interesting because, you know, like how, how successful have social conservatives really been politically? Like just, just, just in a chatty way, like, you know, they haven't been able to get Roe v. Wade changed. Mm -hmm. Um, Roe versus Wade was set up in many ways on a sort of more, more sort of based on personal privacy. So they haven't really been able to change that. They sort of on the state level, they got things like schools and prayer, but they haven't really, or school, pray in schools, and but they haven't really got a constitutional amendment. Um, it, it and the the actual um, social reality that you know we lived in or, or have inherited is much more a reflection of you know the the ERA, which today is almost um, at the state level close to ratification and um the 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 gay movement um all over the world has had tremendous um success 
I mean, in, in the 90s, it was still difficult with don't ask, don't tell. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by the Obama administration, and you can see this in polling, you know, it, 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 over the 30 years, more and more people have, have considered the, the homosexuality to be a normal sort of um, sexual experience and that people mm -hmm. should have the right to be with whoever they want. So they become an, an institutional part of the conservative movement, but they haven't really had a lot of legislative successes, unlike the more sort of um, Goldwaterite part of the conservative movement, which on the level of taxation, you know, Ronald Reagan dropped um, the, the tax rate to 30% in his uh, administration um, from the drop that um, uh, JFK had proposed and Lyndon Johnson had um, initiated and so and then on the level of monopoly policy um, and um, in terms of budgeting and uh, funding for and then welfare there you know you even had a, um, a democratic president sign a, a bill that you know carved up welfare so that that side of the conservative movement has been much more successful than the social conservatives even though the social conservatives have, you know, got got a seat on the table and and, and got prominent posi um, positions in social and cultural life, you know, it's it, yeah, it, it is difficult. And I, I think today there is a real argument being had by people like um, David French of the National Review um, with other people that you know the maybe the social conservatives have got a bad deal out of this thing you know in the in the 70s and 80s it seemed that they they had you know finally found their their political party and, and their voice and you know it's it's obvious that the 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 stymieing of the aids intervention and don't ask don't tell were victories for them but it it does seem like in the long stretch of history they they they're fighting a losing battle that's a, a re really interesting point, Toby. Um, are we wanting to kind of move ahead, sort of past the actual Reagan presidency, uh, and move on to kind of the relationship between the right and religion, kind of post Reagan, or is there anything else we'd like to touch on with Reagan before we, we move on to that? I will take that deafening silence as we'd like to move on. Um, so I, I think one of the points you brought up there, Toby, was this this idea of um, the, the the losing battle in in some regards that the Republican uh, those of faith have kind of fought against, say, gay rights, and and as that has become more accepted, it has been something which Republicans, as you say, even those who come out strongly against it, and you know we saw the stuff in even in 2016 when there was the whole ridiculous thing about that stupid woman who didn't want to rubber stamp some gay marriages or, or whatever it was as there is the, still that kind of hardcore element of, of those fringes who who kind of see they're, they're trying to play the, the the christian element with the my right to do what i want element but the, yeah. the right the right to do what they want is to kind of oppress other people and suppress their rights it's an interesting marriage. Um, yeah, I, I think um, Goldwater's um, thing against civil rights was always that, you know, he was pro-civil rights, but he was against 
things like allowing um, black people into restaurants owned by people who didn't want black people there yeah, or serving black people and things like that. So there was a sense of it was almost like a, a radical negative liberty that you, mm-hmm. you, you could do what you wanted, but you couldn't affect other people's property. So discrimination yeah. was still allowed. And, you know, in the culture, um, social conservatives have seen that you know, that kind of thing does mm-hmm. work, you know, and with all these like little um, artisans in, in bumfuck nowhere, <laughs> people, you know, um, have great stands, you know, personal stands against, you know, people who just want cake, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, but those, yeah, I mean, those, that famous gay cake industry, which is just destroying America. Um, yeah. You yeah. Know, and, and they have to play this game, you know, because the, these two things, the 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 Goldwater thing and religion they're not necessarily the same thing, mm-hmm. but they have to play this game in, in in order to have a wide conservative following to get all the, the you know the people with the with the large forearms and the pickup trucks to be like uh, <laughs> you know this is a thing for us as well you know I mean I'm I'm that's drunk. a very nice description of all yeah <laughs> you know I, I I'm a drunkard I don't go to church at all. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care about any of this. You know, the, I just don't want my taxes um, increased. Are you reading a biography of Vaughn or something? <laughs> Direct quotes. This person <laughs> is definitely from Pennsylvania. <laughs> I, mean, I know a lot of them. Like, you joke, but... <laughs> but, you know, it was like, in order to get that kind of person on sides, they have to have played play this game. But it's difficult because... Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've been reading a book, you know, some of these kinds of people, they they, they don't really care about the gay thing anymore. You know? mm-hmm. It's just once a social system is so widely accepted mm-hmm. and, is, and, you know, and, and gay people can use things like personal autonomy. Those people are seduced by those kinds of arguments as well. So, yeah, the, the, the social conservatives have had a real, really difficult time of it, really, because, you know, they should be having these wins in the Senate uh, and the Supreme Court, but they're not having them. Yeah. I mean, they they, certainly, at at the state legislature um, level, they have been able to uh, institute very draconian laws against abortion, for example, and continue to be able to. But it's just that the wins don't seem to be with them it is interesting that the kind of remnants of the and i mean there is still obviously strong anti-gay feelings throughout america and through much of of um of, of the christian right but as you say toby they've maybe not had the legislative success that they perhaps were aiming for or thought they did with you know don't, don't ask don't tell it is interesting as you might expect you know because you know these people are fucking awful that the kind of remnants of the 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 sort of politics of it, the kind of passing legislation of it, maybe more so under Trump than anything else, is we've kind of sort of moved away to some extent from those kind of quote-unquote gay rights to just now attacking trans people. And that's kind of like the the, the kind of last part of the acceptable thing as far as, well, we're, we're you know, we're, we're kind of letting gay people in and, you know, you know, you know, Donald Trump loves the gays, you know, that, 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 that's all acceptable, and, you know, but we're still going to, you know, 
chop away at you know the rights of trans people for instance because we can all agree that's kind of a good thing to do and it's you know we, we can only hope that you know trump is defeated and these people you know fall into a ditch with all those other people that i want to fall into a ditch but uh it, it is i suppose it's very easy for us to play the political game and say you know that we've we, we we've defeated the anti-gays as it were when at a time where we're there's such anti-trans um mm. movement within america and within aspects of this sort of christian right quote-unquote um oh, I, I suppose, sorry go on you go i i just was gonna say that i i think you're absolutely right they haven't the the social conservative evangelicals haven't really gotten any legislation passed necessarily um in favor of their kind of ideals or overturned like roe v wade or or abington v shemp um for any of the kind of like landmark victories but mm -hmm. i do think that like they they're still very influential like mm -hmm. um there's a historian david courtright who wrote about religion in like the 70s and 80s and the kind of evangelical revolt as he puts it and he mm -hmm. says that it it marked a watershed in american politics and i think what he means by that is that there's like like jerry falwell was in the room like you said like after um, the re-election, Jerry Falwell was at the White House and he's quoted as saying, like, in the last six years, we have changed America to the right. Like, we've shifted American culture and government mm -hmm. to the right. And while they haven't had, like, political legislative victories, they have really been very influential in things that affect a lot of people like the AIDS crisis. Mm. And Reagan didn't react to the AIDS crisis because it was a, a politically calculated decision to keep evangelicals happy because the religious right really successfully made the AIDS crisis a, a social gay issue and really villainized people who who were dying of a disease and marred it as this kind of immoral thing and like they got very vicious with it they said that it's like quote unquote natural retribution and things like it's a divine punishment for immoral activity and that even started affecting children who got it through transmission mm -hmm. and they were like expelled from schools because they were deviance in a kind of social way and it it wasn't until the surgeon general five years into the crisis said we have to address this because people are dying at alarming rates and the government the like reagan's administration specifically um kind of facilitated this ignorance and this panic in americans by not talking about it and not addressing it and that, in in my view, is a huge win for evangelicals. Mm -hmm. Like when the Surgeon General called for sex education and a clear guideline on what AIDS is and what the HIV virus is and how it can be stopped by using condoms when you have sex non-monogamously and giving children sex ed, even giving adults sex ed to actually understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. He, he was pushed back against 
by yeah. the social conservatives and Reagan went in step with that. So they, they are still very influential, I think. They are. And I think your, your point being probably uh, one thing I kind of got from what you were saying there is even if they didn't win in the courts, the kind of the public approval or the public conception of gay people being dangerous and being immoral and being yeah. kind of the, this this otherness outside of acceptable American society, which, you know, what happens in America does filter through. And, you know, mm-hmm. growing up in, in, in the UK, you know, I, I was born in 89. So, you know, I kind of grew up just kind of just kind of post the 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 worst worst of of the AIDS crisis and you know it was still very much gayness as an other gayness as a danger gayness as a you know don't let them touch you don't let them near you kind of thing you know in 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 how things were reported and you know I I don't know how I couldn't speak for how young people are growing up today I, I would hope that there is and they have an easier time getting information um on you know gay people not being any more dangerous than anyone else um but it, it as you say it, it there's still a message out there that you know whether or not it's trans men will come into your little girls bathrooms and you know kill them or rape them or whatever it is that they're saying you know there is still that message of of danger and otherness that's been reported against you know trans people or gay, gay people and I, I think it is important to highlight that you know m- much of that <laughs> that we're kind of living through now is just a continuation of this, this merger between um, Republicanism and um, evangelical, the right of, of the late seventies and eighties. Yeah. Uh, it, sorry. I just real quick. It's, it's like an ideological win more than like a state win. Mm-hmm. And I think that also kind of prevails in like the war on drugs with Nancy Reagan's like, just say no, mm-hmm. that frames it morally and feeds into the, the quote, moral majority of evangelicals and their base. And then with Reagan's whole um, presidential committee on pornography, saying that pornography makes you loose and immoral and a sexual deviant, that a lot of people in the States still today, because we don't have great sex ed, a lot of people learn about sex through pornography. And they're made to feel that that's a wrong thing and that it's immoral. And I think a lot of that kind of public sentiment is still tied to this evangelical kind of push there. Um, And that kind of, that's, it's definitely still relevant today because even with coronavirus, you have people saying, why would I wear a mask when God gave me lungs? And it's killing people. Like (laughs) this, this kind of evangelical power over Mm -hmm. scientific and political decisions is I think too powerful at the moment to kind of bring those those conservatives who aren't necessarily very religious now like like you were saying the kind of pickup truck people they they will easily buy that much more because it's from their kind of it's from their kind of base and understanding and mm. I think it's a really dangerous thing and it's nested even even beyond what we're talking about here you know other aspects such as climate change yeah there are arguments that get made by certain people on the christian right which is well god won't let this happen god won't you know allow his his chosen people you know to be 
you know, flooded or whatever, you know, God will heal the earth. And it's like, you know, just fuck off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, and it is very novel to American life in the West, really. I mean, for example, the the judges that Trump has been able to initiate, uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, much of the rancor over them and much of the evangelical virulence in 2016 was in the hope that they would get wins like that. So, you know, there there are still some um, institutional um, wins that they've managed to get. But if you go all the way back to the 1920s with people like Herbert Cawley and Walter Lippmann, they saw America as just one of the other Western countries that was basically secularizing. You know, there was a secular trend um, this was the, an acceptance of the, the Darwinist um, sort of the sociobiology and and and, uh, and other things like that. And but what the the moral majority and the evangelical movement has shown is that America is different from other Western countries. And um, and we had the um, Angie Maxwell on. She talked about the South and how. You know the 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 gender relations in the South are very sort of regressive and have in many ways have sometimes have crystallized into a sort of eighties um, forever world almost. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there is that sense that um, America's been uh, sort of been a in a regressed state, or and it just it just had a if I'm just not not making a normative here, just been different from other western countries who have secularized um much more quickly and um and yeah and, and then the evangelical movement is 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 really one of the things that makes america very different from, from other countries and i think there's also i can't remember i read this a few years ago but there was something around this idea as you said toby of society becoming more secular and then there wasn't really a this term of Christianity as kind of one singular thing kind of wasn't really a, th- a thing until I think the 20th century, you know, there was a much greater divide between Protestants and Catholics, etc., etc. I, I I can't remember the exact common cause of, of what it was. It sort of unified this idea of Christianity, whether or not it was an outside threat or something else. But it is, it is interesting that, you know, we sort of today lump Christianity as one thing or, you know, the, the Christian right is kind of one thing and together and, there's kind of there's no ill will between the Catholics and and the uh, Protestants, but yeah, I mean, in the past there was. That's very very true. I mean, Jerry Falwell, I mean, noticed this himself. You know, mm-hmm. he had been a fundamentalist, and in his um, teaching, there was a sense that you know the evangelical religion that he grew up with or was um, indoctrinated into was better and more important than other Christian denominations and other other denominations mm-hmm. as well. And he notes that once he creates the moral majority, this is not a religious um, uh, institutional group. Mm-hmm. This is a political group because mm-hmm. if these people were in a religious group, they would just be killing each other. You know, they, they, <laughs> hate, they hate each other, but they've come together to, to have a unified stance on some core um, values and that has lasted in some ways uh, for 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 quite a while, but it, but it it removes a lot of the nuance, you know. Like some mm-hmm. Baptists did have a sort of 
split between church and state, the, the, the social gospel that took um, the the northeast in the in the late nineteenth century was 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 very sort of um, it was much more about charity and good works and the noblesse oblige and, and things like that and and then you have the, um, Jews for example who many of them felt uh, marginalized by the the, the initiation of the moral majority. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and it's it, it sort of it's drained um, a, a lot of um, vibrant and vital religious energy, and just sort of lumped everyone together. And and um, there is much less nuance there than there they had been in American life. Yeah, I think I think that um, that thing that brought them together is this kind of political time that we're talking about because the like you said the the moral majority wasn't a unified religious thing it was a coalition of groups that had common enough grounds that that they felt if they didn't kind of stick together now then they wouldn't get any power for any of them um and they would lose so much more that they saw they were losing or they they perceived that they were losing so much with all of the kind of social changes happening. And I think the, the idea of the family um, was probably like the final thing for them with mm-hmm. the seventies being seen as so hedonistic and so anti-family. Um, that was a huge rallying point for the moral majority uh, to regain any social ground that they felt they had lost at this point. So I think that's when, at least in American culture and history, that's when a lot of Christian denominations weren't as antagonistic between one another Mm -hmm. um, for this very political reason that we're talking about. And you have to remember that 1976, I mean, some people called it the worst year in American history. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, 200 years after the, the, the country had been initiated there was this sense and um you know um carter sort of encapsulated it in his crisis of confidence speech there was a sense that america was adrift you know in in many ways so you know they came together in order to have a counter-revolution that would uh, regain the, the 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 mast of the nation and it was really, and they saw it was really, really important to do because things were changing very quickly, and there there was a vacuum, a uh, spiritual vacuum in American life. And of course, now we've we've kind of moved a, a step beyond, you know, even someone like Reagan who who might have had um, some some sort of sense of Christianity about him, even if it didn't truly permeate his his policies. You know, you kind of later on, we, we've, I mean, I, I can think of no greater failure of a movement that people like Marco Rubio and uh, Paul Ryan and stuff are now kind of the face of, of this sort of fake, <laughs> Christ, fake Christianity where it's, you know, tweeting out Bible quotes while at the same time, you know, voting for, you know, taking away the, the rights of brown people or whatever it is. And then you then take that an extra step further and you've got Donald Trump literally holding the Bible upside down while tear gassing. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, what's your best, what's your favorite verse, Donald? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, I mean, it, it, it is quite amazing how, how quickly we progress. And, you know, to take it back to, to Trump, you know, it, it's he is an acceleration point for this, but certainly not an origina- originator, this idea of f- sort of phony Christian ideology and um, a sense that we can present ourselves as being Christian and the, you know, you look at those crazy evangelicals who are talking about Donald Trump you know doing god's will and you know we have to vote for him because you know he was sort of divine intervention him coming along in 2016 and it's it's you know just absolutely crazy and you begin to well i mean i was gonna say you begin to lose faith in people i lost faith in people (laughs) many years ago any any faith i had remaining um has probably disappeared by this point uh, which is probably a, a good place to leave a conversation about religion, I'd say. Um, uh, is there anything else on religion or me just giving up on humanity that we want to touch on uh, before we uh, leave today's show or um, any sort of parting gifts for our audience on Ronald Reagan and religion? What did they feel when they saw the Access Hollywood thing? Like, <laughs> what was their reaction to that? Yeah. I think that's a, like, it's, I'm just thinking right now that that's like a really interesting kind of comparison because Reagan really finessed this. Like, Mm -hmm. whether he actually believed it or not, he finessed dealing with evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And he never really sided with any super radical or um, televangelists or evangelicals. He kind of treaded lightly with, with super Christians. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of look at Trump, and you're like, "What are you doing, my guy? Like, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is insane." Like, he just appointed that that doctor the other day, who's like, "Endometriosis is because of demon sperm," and you're like, "What are you doing?" Like, it's yes, it's, he. It's like he like read the playbook of Reagan, and then was like, "I don't need to look at any of the footnotes," you know. And like, I do feel like Reagan's re- religiosity does make sense. A lot of like the televangelist stuff and the charismatics, like mm-hmm. it's you know like it's the gospel of wealth, you know, and being um, optimistic and happy and stuff. Like it's it's the kind of thing that that was that Reagan really radiated. Yeah. You know how deep it was. I mean, we don't know, but you know he was in that cultural um, movement. But Trump is the, for me, he's the, he's the um, politician of rappers. Like you know, like it's it's it's, it's um like what um YG said. You know, I used to, before the racism, I used to think you were you know like a a, a businessman who made money and was like gaudy and cool and shit like that. It's not. There's no religion there. No. It, you know, it's not. It's not part of it at all. No, I mean he he is the the least moral person. Um, outside of Toby that I can think of. Um, and, and for me, it's that. It's like... <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why that's, I like him. I mean, that's why I like Trump. But, but <laughs> for me, it's like Trump is the failure of this for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Look at him. Look at his life. Yeah. You know, look, look what he, he's done and talked about and been through. Yeah. Like, as a human being, 
it's it is the failure of the culture to produce these devout people that yeah. you're seeing in front of your eyes and and they should feel like they're failing to be honest i mean i don't know Trump is like the realization of the American dream, but just like drawn at like eleven. Like, yeah, it it is quite insane. Like for me, he belongs to pornography. He belongs to uh, mm-hmm. even like even some parts of African American culture, like rap. Like he belongs to, you know, like a, a sense of of having no moral limits or scruples at all. It's not, yeah. It's and they should look at that and be like. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what what have we achieved? Like, and the thing is, tr- Trump is essentially a Taliban dust himself. It's just who he talks yeah. about is himself, rather than yeah. rather than an extra spiritual figure. Which does make you think: Will Trump, after he leaves the White House, will he just like come up with Trump TV and it'll be like thirty dollars a month, and people can like subscribe to like have him like shout at them via you know basically a YouTube, but for even crazier people? I don't know. I think this like this is a point that we didn't really touch on with Reagan is that he wasn't he was divorced like we I mean you mentioned it Toby but like he was divorced he was kind of estranged from his kids he he wasn't at the time the kind of like on paper good Christian that like Jimmy Carter was Mm -hmm. but he just he finessed this so well like and then Trump I guess tried to do the same thing like multiple divorces multiple children that he can't even remember their names most of the time like he just he is like a very failed version of reagan yep i mean reagan was the first divorce president and then yeah. we've got trump i mean to be fair to trump if i had his children i'd try and forget about them as well oh, so. yeah <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay well, on, on the image of Eric Trump, I think we should probably... Unless we've got anything else we'd like to add. No, Eric Trump ended it for me. We're good. <laughs> that, that's, that's, oh, a lot of women have said that to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, and so I was like, imagine me as Eric Trump. Like, no, I mean, yeah. I'm not getting involved with you. First it was Nixon, now it's Eric Trump. I would just like to say on the show we do not kink shame. So if Vaughn is into either Romney erotica or, you know, Eric Trump face masks, that is none of our business. And we Listen, should just... don't equate the two, Simon. Okay, they're <laughs> different things. And yeah. one is not immoral. <laughs> one is not. N- nothing. <laughs> Myth has never done anything immoral as far as we're concerned. No. Uh... I mean, obviously, it fell back to Mitt Romney. Obviously, obviously. naturally. I mean, we're talking about politics, religion, evangelicals. I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my boy. Yeah, and then we we touched on eroticism, so of course we had to touch on Mitt Romney. Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the the worrying thing uh, to to our to our audience is none of us have been drinking so far today. That's that's the real worry. That is. Um, I'm so sad. Like you know, we we had the catholic moment with kennedy mm-hmm. he had to defend you know catholicism and we had the evangelical moment with, with uh, jimmy carter but we never had the mormon moment did we <laughs> no we didn't yeah we so missed sad. out on that america yeah it, it's funny as well because right now as we say vaughn is actually trying to buy the rights to the mormon moment dot com um <laughs> as <laughs> As, as the housing of all her stories about Mitt. 
Um, my fan fiction. My <laughs> form of Vaughn's fan fiction. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay. Right. I think we should probably leave it there. Um, yes, this is this has been a really interesting and at times terrible podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and not just because we brought up so many terrible people in such a, what, an hour and a half? So um, I think well done to us for that. We do have a, a third episode coming um, on on Ronald Reagan. I think I think you'll ho- hopefully enjoy that one, as I'm hoping you enjoyed this one. Um, it's uh, we'll, we'll kind of let it be a surprise on what it is. Uh, we might potentially have a guest for it as well, and not just Toby and Eric uh, Trump mask. Um, although, again, any requests that you guys have for Toby to dress up as anything during the podcast, please just leave a comment. Um, okay. <laughs> we're on your date in paris yeah <laughs> just any request for toby in general to to wear something different in any context you know <laughs> <laughs> okay we should probably leave before i get a hr complaint uh yeah right okay uh from from toby from vaughn from myself from the ghost of ronald reagan uh thank you very much for listening we will have a, another episode for you in the near future and uh yeah take care and all the best goodbye Bye.